and welcome to the Super Wild Card Weekend edition of the Lions Podcast. We are going to run through each and every game, give you some thoughts on one, what's in our account, two, if we have any leans, three, if we think any of these are absolutely horrible games or horrible bets to be in on, and four, I want to talk the Super Bowl MVP market a little bit as well to see what you guys are thinking okay. about that as we close out the show today. Of course, Stephen Andrus, Adam Candy here with me. If you want to follow them on the Twitter machine, at Stephen Andrus1, at Adam Candy, two E's, no Y. You want to follow me, at Matt Brown M2, and everything we do at the lines, absolutely free. So your support is not monetarily just hit the subscribe button down below, or if you're listening to, to us on the audio side, just go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. That's all we ask of you. That is what we do around here to climb the charts and get more people interested in what we got going on here at the lines. All right, fellas, we are going to kick things off here with the first game, which has, let's say, some intrigue, I guess. We are going to be talking about the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks find themselves on the road as very big underdogs. That being said, it is not quite as big as it was. Nine and a half is the current number, though there is 110 out there at Caesars. 42 is our total in this one. So this reached 10 and went to nine and a half, reached 10 again, went to nine and a half, reached 10 again, and went to nine and a half. So Adam, the market was telling us that 10 was too much for the Seattle Seahawks in this game. Now, we know what we're getting in this 49er squad. We are getting a massively aggressive defense. We are getting a very, very good defense with a ton of playmakers all over the place. The big story looming in this one is the weather. We have seen anybody in California, Las Vegas, the West Coast, we've gotten more rain over the last few days than we've gotten in, in months around here. That is supposed to manifest again in the Santa Clara era area up there around Saturday, by the way, Saturday kickoff here for this. Now, Adam varying reports, the worst of it, which should be before the game. Some of the reports say, ah, it's going to be kind of like during the game, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. How are you looking at that aspect? And then we can get into the full handicap of the game here. What I find most interesting, Matt, is that this total really hasn't moved given all of those weather concerns. It was fairly low in the first place, and I think we can all understand that that reflects Seattle's offense against San Francisco's defense. I'm surprised that given that we're talking about at very best bad field conditions that we're not looking at this having moved, but I think it's also a bit of a signal. So that is that is what I was going to get to is like, you know, hey, look, even if the worst of the weather is before the game and it's not actually during the game. The real question will be, how does this field hold up? Right? Because I mean, if it is monsoon type, you know, rain, which they're predicting just super, super, super heavy rain, even if it is before the game and it's not necessarily during the game, Steven, you know, that is something we should consider. I don't know the field condition. I mean, it's a new stadium. You would think it has really awesome drainage and all the stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, it's one of the newer stadiums out there. So I can only assume it's going to be able to handle weather situations better than some of the other ones, maybe the rest of the country. But again, I'm not I'm not familiar at all. 
Well, it's also been raining cats and dogs there the entire week, right? It's not like it's, you know, a lot of rain and then it drains and it's, you know, good to go. They've been dealing with this the entire week. Um, Adam shared in our Slack channel before the show that George Kittle tweeted that he hasn't had power for four days. So there's a lot of logistical stuff going on here with the 49ers. Um, with the possible weather conditions and despite the huge mismatch here, uh, I would I wouldn't lay this many points with the 49ers. I did bet them in a money line parlay right when these markets open Sunday night. So another shameless plug for everybody to join the lines.com discord channel because we got a money line parlay with the Niners and the Bengals at minus 125. That's like minus 230 now. So um, with these playoff markets, you got to get them early sometimes and great reason to be in the discord. 5.3 to 4.6 yards per play in the first meeting between these two teams, despite the Niners switching quarterbacks. Week 15 with Brock Purdy, it was 6.2 to 4.5. That final score of 21-13 was very deceptive. The Niners were up 21 to 3 in the third quarter in that game. So this is a mismatch to me. I'm not going to lay the points with the 49ers, but I did bet the under when this was 43 because of the weather concerns. I also share your guys surprise that it has only moved the point honestly i bet that with the intention of trying to middle it thinking this this number was going to tank and it hasn't yet i still think there's time for it to tank if the weather forecast turns even gloomier but um yeah i, I would never play the over in a, in a weather condition game like this and you factor in even in good weather, I'm not sure how the, the Seahawks score many points in this game. They didn't score an offensive touchdown in one of the two meetings between these two teams. So um, a lot of signs here point to like a, a Niners blowout to me of something like 20 to three or, you know, very low scoring game. But um, weird things happen in rainy, windy games, and we can't be 100 percent sure that that's not what we're going to get here. So, Adam, everyone's pointing to that freak loss, you know, in week one for the 49ers and all that. Like, I mean, I'm I'm not. I don't care. I'm not looking at all of that. I, I am, though, looking at this and saying that no matter really what the weather is, it didn't change my handicap really all that much. The 49ers have not asked very much of Brock Purdy as it is anyway. He is not a guy that is going out and is going to sling the ball 40 plus times in the game. They have Elijah Mitchell healthy now as well. So they already had a deep running back room. It only got deeper with a guy that everybody had. I mean, he was on the kind of sleeper list for offensive player of the year and all the things like that. And of course, he gets hurt and misses the majority of the season. But now he's back. He looked pretty good last week. Debo Samuel's back. He's going to get, you know, three or four carries over the course of a game, I just expected the 49ers to come out and just run the ball down the Seattle Seahawks throat. I did lay the nine and a half with the 49ers and I don't feel bad about it at all. When we take a look at this Seattle defense, which kind of fooled us there in the middle of the season where we're like, Oh, okay. Maybe they've changed a little bit. Maybe they've turned a corner. It was just a flash in the pan, probably just more opponent based than anything else, because they went right back to that horrible Seattle defense that we knew the first you know, six weeks of the season. And if I believe that the 49ers are going to be able to run and run successfully and they are going to be able to just turn around and hand the ball off, no matter what the weather conditions might be, I'm going up against a Seattle run defense that since week 10 is 30th DBOA in the NFL versus the run. It is 32nd rush EPA allowed in the NFL since week 10. So again, a big hunk of the season. It has been the worst rush defense in the NFL. We know what we're getting out of the 49ers from a rush attack and Shanahan and his creativity and things like that. 
I don't really care. Uh, you know, rain, if it's rain, no rain, whatever, all that. I just thought they were going to run it down the, the Seahawks throat anyway. So my handicap stays the same. Well, I think at this point, you guys have covered side and total pretty well. So I'll talk about one other angle that I like into this game. And that is the aforementioned Eli Mitchell uh, right now sitting 38 and a half on his rushing prop. And let's think about the 49ers and how we expect this game script to play out. Right. If everything that we're talking about here goes the way that we expect and the 49ers are blowing out the Seahawks and just pounding it on the ground over and over again, not involving the chance of Brock Purdy in his first playoff start getting uh, any sort of starry eyes and throwing interceptions and anything like that. It's not going to be Christian McCaffrey. They're force feeding the ball to on a bad field. They know the injury history as well as we do. And so it's not going to be him. Who's it going to be? Well, I think it's likely to be Eli Mitchell and it's also likely to be a situation where even with the bad field conditions as bad as Seattle's run defense is, it's only going to take one or two pops for Eli Mitchell to get to that 38 and a half. So I like that on the over rush yards. Adam, just uh, your your thoughts on the side is, is, is 10 too much is nine and a half. Like, because we've seen the resistance point, right? It's like every time it gets to 10, it goes back down to nine and a half, but then it doesn't ever really get past nine and a half. So it's kind of like, we know where we're probably going to be come kickoff on Saturday. I think it's a function of the weather more than anything else. And the fact that this total hasn't moved either, right? It's not like we're seeing this go up and then we're also seeing total movement that would suggest to us that, you know, that there's some belief that this is going to be a higher scoring game. I think the fact that we've seen that resistance point just says that it's Brock Purdy's first career playoff start. It's going to be bad field conditions that could lead to turnovers. And we have at points seen Seattle's offense be explosive. Now, those points haven't been recent and they haven't been against the 49ers. So I, I have a hard time getting myself there. But I look at this game and see a Seattle team that if you watched a lot of that game last week against the Los Angeles Rams, I'm not sure I've seen a worse performance out of a team that had something on the line going into the playoffs than I have out of Seattle. And it has looked that way for the last five or six weeks. So I don't have a lot of hope for them. That said, I think that it's more about weather and more about Purdy's first start as a seventh round pick in the playoffs that is leading to that resistance point. Yeah, uh, Stephen, if we take a look, I mean, even if we think that they're going to have, uh, you know, a tough time scoring the football, I mean, Ken Walker has really and truly just moved, which is it's weird for Pete Carroll, but he has moved to a bell cow back here, which he is, you know, for the last several seasons, for whatever reason, was really wanting to split carries between two and three different guys. If we look to last week, Ken Walker played on 87% of the snaps and got over 90% of the team carries. Now we can't predict that he's going to have success against the 49ers offense. But if we do think that it's not going to be through the air because of possible conditions, he's at least going to get the carries. And so it does make me wonder if we look, do we just bet opportunity, not necessarily from a yardage standpoint for a guy like Ken Walker, who, by the way, his yardage total set about 60 yards, something like that, his his rushing total, but just just carries, right? Just carries in general. I, I, he, I can see them turn around and carrying, giving him the ball at least through the first three quarters until this thing maybe gets out of hand, you know. 25 26 27 times because again i i don't pete carroll's old school he's not going to put the ball in the air um when there's wind and rain and things like that 
I am admittedly not the guy to ask about props, but I will say that our, one of our props writers over at the lines.com is like in some in sync with you guys on these angles and game script situations. Jeffrey Schreiber, one of our props writers, he's already hit a $10,000 props parlay this year. He likes Kenneth Walker over his receiving yards. He bet it at nine mm-hmm. and a half. It's still available at 10 and a half with what you mentioned, the volume and mm-hmm. also potential negative game script here. So with the the snaps that he's getting, I think that fits in. He agrees with Adam on the Eli Mitchell angle, but he's taken the anytime touchdown at plus 260. And I think a correlated play there is Christian McCaffrey under 40 and a half receiving yards, considering it hasn't been very often in recent weeks since Eli Mitchell has come back where CMC is getting that receiving yards volume uh, that we saw in the middle of the year. So he's in line with all you guys on those prop angles. I'll just say when it comes to Brock Purdy, at this point, I'm not here for the for the Brock Purdy doubt. It, he's a placeholder. He is in there executing exactly what Kyle Shanahan does, and I have all the confidence in the world in that. I've seen enough at this point. Since taking over at quarterback, Brock Purdy is fourth in adjusted EPA. That's better than Josh Allen. He's eighth in quarterback success rate. That's better than Allen and Jalen Hurts. His expected completion percentage is 70%. That's better than Mahomes, Burrow, Hurts, and Josh Allen. Now, is that a quarterback stat no but he's actually completing 70 percent of his passes too so he's executing a masterful scheme from Kyle Shanahan whereas guys like Burrow and Allen and Hurts are having to overcome schemes and game plans that are not putting offenses in situations to complete passes at a top 10 rate in the league in this span since since Purdy has taken over so do you trust Purdy to continue this in the playoffs The question then becomes, do you trust Kyle Shanahan to continue his masterful scheme in the playoffs? And I've seen enough to say yes at this point, no matter what quarterback is in there. And that included last postseason when he had an injured, compromised Jimmy Garoppolo that couldn't do nearly as much health wise or athletically as Brock Purdy has shown us at this point. Adam, I want to close things off here. Seattle team totals 15 and a half. So more than two touchdowns. 49ers defense since week 10, number one overall DVOA, number one EPA per play allowed, number one in success rate allowed. And we know that this Seattle offense has been much worse over the second half of the season than it was in the first half of the season. Now factor in any sort of weather concerns, different things like that. See Seattle getting to 16 points. Hmm. I see where you're coming from. I I think I still have a little bit of Raiders 34 points two weeks ago in my head where it's a better offense, obviously. But uh, put it this way, I'm not betting the over. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, the only way you get me involved in the is in the under, but I'd have to take a closer look at that before I fired on it. Yes. Yeah, 16 points for Seattle. Another interesting angle. Again, one that's not in my account, but I will let you guys know. I, I am going to dig into that one a little bit further because, again, super low total, really good defense, possible weather concerns. The offense scored zero points in the first game against the Niners and three points through three quarters in the second game against the Niners. Mm-hmm. And now they have weather. So. Can't argue so, with you guys. Something something to consider there. Again, that's sitting 15 and a half right now in favor of Seattle. I mean, 15 team total points there for Seattle. Los Angeles Chargers and the Jacksonville Jaguars are second Saturday game. As we sit currently, the Los Angeles Chargers are two and a half point road favorites over the Jacksonville Jaguars, a total of 47 to 47. 
and a half. Adam, we were, you know, listen, everybody that was in the the media, everybody that's even a football fan, hell, my friends who probably didn't even have bets on the game, whatever, everybody, what in the hell is Brandon Staley doing? Why are these guys out on the field in the second quarter? Oh my God, they're coming out in the third quarter. Oh my God, they're coming out in the fourth quarter. <laughs> what in the holy hell is going on? It was a game that meant absolutely nothing. They were locked into the five seed. So what does that do? Oh, karma's a bitch. Mike Williams, officially questionable after not practicing all week long for the Chargers, despite the fact that Staley said he was going to be able to practice this week. So obviously the injury was worse than he even let on at the beginning of the week. So now we're getting a guy, listen to question, they say he could play even without practicing. If he was hurt enough to not practice, he is not going to be 100%. And so what I give you, what I present to you here, Adam, before I give you, let you give your spiel on this Chargers team and this game in general is we have, ha- we have seen this offense without Mike Williams, but Keenan Allen was out there. Chargers had a bye week in week eight. Then, uh, then Williams missed 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I'm counting 11. He played six snaps before he had to leave with the injury again. So I'm counting those 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. This offense was 19th DVOA in the NFL. It was 22nd EPA per play in the NFL. Their drop back EPA was 25th in the NFL. And yes, that did include a game against the 49ers. But the other four games in that stretch where Williams was out, where they put up these absolutely poor offensive numbers, Falcons, Chiefs, Cardinals, Raiders were the other four games in that stretch without Mike Williams. So, again, I cannot put I cannot emphasize enough how massive of an injury this is to me because of what he brings to this offense and why I really do like the Jags in this thing. So I guess when Brandon Staley said yesterday that it's not about the reps, it's about the rest that only applies during the week, not before the game. This has got to be a skit, I, right? This <laughs> has got to be like a an SNL skit, right? That could that what, that was a real quote. That was a that was a real quote from Brandon Staley, a coach who believes in rest over reps, apparently. Uh, yeah, and he wasn't the only one, by the way. Um, Joey Bosa came out dinged up out of this as well. Now, supposedly he's all right. But again, a player with an injury history being out there for the Chargers in a game that mattered not at all. So let's talk about the matchup on the field between the Jaguars and the Chargers this week. I have heard a lot of people I respect on the Chargers in this game and mm-hmm. I'm willing to consider it. I, I get it. There, there are some matchups here that are not particularly good for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They are weaker against the pass and the chargers are a team that likes to throw the ball more than they like to run the ball. Uh, I look at the other side of this and if we're going to talk about Brock Purdy's first playoff start, we'll also talk about Trevor Lawrence's first playoff start and say that could there be some level of question involved there? Now the pedigree is quite a bit different and Trevor Lawrence has performed quite a bit better, but at the same time, all the things that you add up in this game say to me that what I already have in my account, which is a Jaguars teaser leg Mm -hmm. and what I want to put in my account, which is Keenan Allen over receptions, both make perfect sense. And the second one's chalky, right? The best receiver for the team, over six and a half receptions. It's obviously juiced over in that direction. I'm seeing minus 30 or minus 35. I'm not worried about that at all, especially when we're talking about stuff like this with props. 
getting that number, I'm not as worried about the juice on that number unless it gets truly excessive. And to me, that's not excessive to play over when if Mike Williams is hurt or even if Mike Williams isn't hurt, mm-hmm. the Jags against receivers in the slot tend to be particularly bad. And we know that Keenan Allen is going to see a lot of snaps there. So I have the Jags uh, in the teaser leg, largely because I don't see this being outside of a one score game. And I think Keenan Allen is going to get the ball with or without Mike Williams. Yeah, I um, I also have I also have a teaser leg for the Jags. I have the money line uh, at plus 120. I also have them in a teaser leg as well. Uh, I think it's a very strong teaser leg now Keenan Allen is going to get the looks we know he has 79 targets for this team since he came back in week 11 he got at least 24 percent target share and if you're wondering guys what that means it means like one in every four passes out of Justin Herbert's hands is heading towards Keenan Allen at least 24 percent target share in six of the eight games that he's played since coming back so he's going to be a major focus especially if Williams is either limited or not able to go at all in this thing. So if you wanted to play Allen props, I would not talk you off of it. That said, just as a caveat, I do want to put Tyson Campbell corner for the Jags graded out as an 81.2 for PFF over any corner that had at least 200 coverage snaps this year. That's good for top 16 in the entire NFL. So he's not elite elite one of these corners but certainly one of the better corners in all the NFL and if if you don't have to account for Mike Williams Campbell could see a lot of Allen maybe that does something to Allen's output I don't really know but I did at least want to throw that out there Steven how do you see this and and I'm like I'm like uh, I'm 100% like like Adam on this thing I have heard a bunch of people on the Chargers I've actually heard a bunch of people in the Chargers saying that this could be a boat race and so I don't know I I don't feel like we're on an island necessarily Adam but I do feel like we're probably in the minority on this thing yeah I I think I understand why the Chargers backers are so confident in it I mean I think part of it to be honest with you is preseason priors now that they're pretty healthy even though with the Mike Williams situation I think you know you know what I love about the NFL guys that we're sitting here talking about the Jags potentially being able to win a playoff game against the Chargers imagine us saying that at the beginning of the year when we all had the Chargers as maybe the best roster in the NFL against the Jags who had just come off a dumpster fire of a season with Urban Meyer I love this league man it's awesome but yeah I I was surprised by the market movement on this game especially with Mike Williams being on the worst side of questionable here this week I would be surprised if he plays Matt one of your colleagues on VSIN this week said he thinks he has a bulging disc which is really hard to even walk with let alone play a football game with so uh, I'd be shocked if he plays at this point, to be honest with you. So the matchup with the Jags D since coming out of their bye week, Jacksonville is sixth in EPA per play on defense, sixth in rush D by EPA, 11th in drop back EPA. The argument there, I think, from the Chargers backers will be the three quarterbacks they've played each of the past three weeks. They It was the complete opposite of a murderer's row. So let's play devil's advocate here. Let's say that the Chargers do score some points and the Jaguars offense has to keep up with them. Well, since the bye week, Trevor Lawrence and company are sixth in first down EPA in the first three quarters, seventh in drop back EPA and success rate, because you have to filter out some fourth quarter garbage time there. Jags had a lot of positive and negative game script garbage time in the fourth quarter in that stretch. So that to me, that first quarter stat 
is an indication of good play calling and good scheme from Doug Peterson. He's we know at this point he is an efficient, aggressive play caller on first down, which has been mostly the opposite of what we've seen from Brandon Staley after he went scorched earth aggressive last season. He's gone back to being very conservative this year. And overall, since the bye week, Trevor Lawrence, sixth and fifth in drop back EPA and success rate. Chargers D is strong, but I think the Dallas game for Jacksonville at least showed that if this team gets behind big, they are more than capable of coming back, putting up some points, making this competitive, and at least I think stay within the teaser leg here. So I waited to get for this line to get back to two. That's when I put the teaser leg in. I thought Adam made a great point mid season when we had another chance to tease the Jags with Doug Peterson. You want to make sure you have at least eight points on the teaser leg, because if he finds himself down 14, he's always going to go for two. So you don't want to have a seven and a half and the Jags lose by eight. So teaser leg for me, eight or better. We're sitting at eight and a half as we record Friday morning. Um, and I guess there's really only one other Wong teaser option on the board here with the Bucks, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, I I love the Jags teaser angle here. Yeah, and to kind of put a bow on this one as well, Adam. I mean, I think if we look what we've seen from this Jags offense towards the latter half of the season was a team that kind of figured out a run game just a little bit as well. They were able to kind of uh, not only with ATN, but mix in some of these other guys. Hasty certainly got nearly nearly 50% of the snaps last week as well for this Jags team in a in a must-win game. And so I think that Peterson just started to figure out the team a little bit better over the course of the year. I'm super bullish on Jacksonville next year. It's kind of going to be my Vikings that of this year of betting probably over on win totals and divisional things and stuff like that. And I want to correct myself on a couple of different things that I said on this podcast multiple times over the course of the years. We were heading into towards the stretch where I was saying, Hey, I'm going to be bullish on the Jags. They just need to get a number one wide receiver. Well, it's kind of one of those out of sight, out of mind things. They traded for Calvin Ridley. If we, I, I, it's one of those things like, oh, by the way, out of sight, out of mind. I totally forgot about that. And like, they're going to head into next season with with Calvin Ridley actually on this team. So, um, just I, keep him out of a legal betting state. Well, I mean, take he's his not phone even, away on listen, road trips. Listen, he's not coming back from injury. He's coming back from a seventeen parlay. So I'm okay with like <laughs> you know him being the wide receiver one here for for the Jags. So and some people don't come back from that, Matt. Well, that's true. That's true. Well, bankrolls don't come back for that from that sometimes. <laughs> um, but Adam, I, again, if we're looking at this, we can't quantify this. We talked about this multiple different times over the course of the season. But on the sidelines, I am a hundred percent more likely to believe that Doug Peterson's going to make the right decision in a crucial moment in the game than I am Brandon Staley. And I think this time of year. I know we like to we like to talk numbers a lot here, and I think we should, and we like to talk stats, and I think we should. But there will be there will be playoff decisions to be made because it is win or go home. And if it's Brandon Staley versus Doug Peterson, give me Doug Peterson ten times out of ten. What happened to Brandon Staley? What, what happened to the Brandon Staley from last year that we were writing articles about talking about his aggressiveness on fourth down and how nobody understood that he was making all the right decisions, mm. even though the variance was going against him? D- did he read all of those and, and realize that some of those choices might cost him his job because his ownership thought that uh, they should have gone more conservative and took the points? I don't know. I don't know. I'm speculating. But all I know is that the Brandon Staley that made smart decisions on fourth down and made smart decisions 
decisions about when to kick and when to go for it. And I guess when to play players and when to not play players, uh, he's not here anymore. So uh, I, I will co-opt your term, Matt. Fake sharp. Yes, fake sharp for sure. Uh, last point here. If for whatever reason, I doubt they do it. I bet even if he is, he would just be a decoy. But if for whatever reason, the 90 minutes before game time, Mike Williams is officially ruled out in this thing, you might get a three on the Jags if you want to just play a straight side here. So something to consider um, just again, but that's going to be 90 minutes before game time. He is officially questionable. We're not going to hear anything probably before that. But if they happen to rule him out, you'll probably get a three and I, I would be willing to play a three on the Jags in this one for sure. Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills, our first game on Sunday. And uh, it's a game. It's going to be played. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll go from Super there. 13, wild card weekend. <laughs> 13, 13 and a half in favor of the Bills at home. 43 and a half is our total. Steven, we kind of know what we're getting here. It is Skylar Thompson at quarterback for Miami in a playoff game against the Bills on the road. I mean, look, seventh round rookie. He's been fine when he's been in there. I mean, he hasn't completely, you know, wet his pants every time he's been in there. <laughs> but he's 60 of 105, which is 57%. He's thrown one touchdown and three picks. It's just, you know, it's it's the spread's right i mean 13 it's right raheem mostert broke his thumb so now they don't have the little two-headed monster anymore it's just jeff wilson in the running back room there for the dolphins you know i am not going to run and lay the 13 and a half with the bills that being said because there is incentive for the bills now that they didn't get the one seed and they do have to you know, get through the playoffs. There is incentive for Josh Allen, Steph Diggs, all of them to be on the sideline at some point in the fourth quarter. So that's why I didn't, uh, that's why I'm not playing it, but it would be the, it would be lay it or pass for me for sure. Tackle Teron Armstead, back-to-back DNPs again, mm-hmm. Bradley Chubb, limited practice after a DNP, a bunch of guys on the injury report for Miami. It's not just their quarterback situation as well. That's how we have the biggest spread in NFL wildcard game history here. So for me to get involved, Matt, we've talked about it. Some of these big spread games this year going to have to get creative, right? So you shop around some of these same game parlay machines. You're going to find odds that are very different than other sports books, same game parlay machines. And I found one that I think I like. On the three-way money line markets for the first quarter and the first half, there's one out there that'll let you parlay the Bills' first quarter three-way money line with the Bills' first half three-way money line and get minus 124 on that in a sp- in a game with a spread of 13 and a half. That number's minus 150 at most of the other books. So it's a popular one. Go find it. Um yeah, minus 124 to, to parlay those two. That That's my angle in this one. I think the Bills come out quick, come out firing, and this is just a not much of a game right from the early going. Adam, again, I know we it, I, I hate that we have a game like this on the slate, right? I mean, where we're getting, you know, a third string quarterback, but not the whole party situation where he's got Shanahan and all these playmakers and all this stuff. It's just kind of like, you know, McDaniel's been fine, but Skyler Thompson's just is what he is. I guess my question to you is, is 13 and a half too much given the fact that there is at least some incentive for the Bills 
to hit the sideline here, right? I mean, they they have one intention at this point, and that is to win the Super Bowl. And so I, I feel as if we have a coaching staff that's sharp enough to not have Josh Allen and Steph Diggs and all these guys out there um, taking unnecessary snaps. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess typically if the handicap is the starters need to not play and you need to get a backdoor cover, maybe that's not the best bet to be making then. The second part of that matters, though. We talk about this all the time about not playing starters anymore. When it's first stringers on the other side, that's fine. Then you can yeah. worry about the backdoor cover. It's Skylar Thompson. Right. And a banged up Tyreek Hill. Like, this is not, these are not the droids you're looking for. Like, this is not <laughs> the, the situation. Like, this is not the situation that, where I worry about a backdoor cover. But I will say, I'm much more inclined to look at the Miami team total which is 14 and a half in some spots and just ask short of a special teams or defensive score. How are we getting there? How, mm. how is Skylar Thompson going to move the football uh, in a playoff game? And Miami was absolutely fortunate to come out of that game with nine points last week against the New York Jets. I don't see how that happens. I don't want to get involved with anything on the Buffalo side mm. because of what you just said, because of the fact that the starters might not be in there anymore. I, I understand that. But I think the way that for me that plays out is that even the Buffalo twos against Skylar Thompson are probably mm. going to be enough to hold this thing under the Miami team total. I guess one other angle here and this one, this one actually might make my account. It hasn't quite yet, but I don't think I'm going to miss any sort of number here. Josh Allen rush yards. Is it 50 and a half, Right. In a game, you're two touchdown favorites. And I know Josh Allen is going to play Josh Allen football, and we're going to get some scrambles and things like that. But, like, are they calling a bunch of design quarterback runs, like, in a game like this? It just seems unnecessary. It doesn't seem smart. I, I mean, are we getting – are we really getting 10 Josh Allen carries in this game, 12 Josh Allen carries in this game? Because that's what you need to feel comfortable betting an over on a 50-and-a-half rushing total for a quarterback – and if we factor in that maybe there are at least two series he doesn't play in the fourth quarter. And if we factor in if they're up big in the third, maybe they're not passing, right? It's just just a traditional turnaround handoff to, to Cook and Singletary. All the stuff like that. I don't know. 50 and a half seems high for me for, for Josh Allen. Does that make sense as I kind of talk that through? Yeah, he's only gone over that number twice out of his last seven games to begin mm -hmm. with. And now it's probably a blowout game. So, yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of conservative play calling in the second half of this one. Um, one angle, I think, uh, you know, a couple of props that that Jeffrey over at the site wrote up for this. Uh, this one, Gabe Davis under forty nine and a half receiving yards. He's only mm -hmm. hit 50 receiving yards once in his last six games. It's like the fantasy community has waited and waited and waited for Gabe Davis to be a thing. It just hasn't become a thing this year. And related to that, and I don't know, maybe it's the elbow injury from Josh Allen. They've been a little more conservative, not throwing as deep. Maybe it's the two high safety looks they've been getting. But Dawson Knox over 32 and a half receiving yards. He's averaging 47 and a half receiving yards over like the last month, month and a half year. And against the Dolphins, who have allowed the third most receptions to tight ends this season, he had 98 receiving yards, did Knox in week 15 against Miami. So um, I think those also kind of fall in line with what you're talking about, Matt, with Josh Allen being a little bit less aggressive on the ground. 
Adam, if I give you a hundred American dollars just out of the kindness of my heart, and I had said you have to play one of the four traditional bets here. You're either playing the Bills and Dolphins at 13 and a half or the over the under of 43 and a half. Which do you feel of those four you would put that free a hundred dollars on? The free hundred dollars would be most comfortable to me laying it with the Bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it's agree. same with me. It's, it's I, I know it's crazy to say at 13 and a half, but it's the same with me. If, if I had to play this straight up, if I had to, I think I'd lay it. I, I really do. I, I think this, I would lay this it. to me feels like the Chiefs Steelers playoff game from last year where you had a completely flawed quarterback and offense against mm-hmm. what might be a juggernaut of an offense. You're listening to the lines.com podcast network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sports books all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the Lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. New York Giants and the Minnesota Vikings. This is the game that has stuck all week. This this game three and three and three and three and three. I mean, Vikings at three at home. 48 is our total. There is a couple of 48 and a halfs out there. Rest of country. If you want to play an under in this thing, Adam, of course, I'm always going to start with you here as we talk about the New York football Giants. Listen, the line seems incredibly appropriate. The total seems incredibly appropriate. If we saw a three and a half, I would be tempted on the Giants because this just feels like a field goal game. It just feels like one of those games where the Vikings have the ball in the last possession and kick up a game winning field goal or whatever. Dayball gets the absolute most out of his guys, but he just at the end of the day, talent for talent just doesn't quite have what the Vikings have, and they come up short. I don't know. Everything about this game seems appropriate. Is there something I'm missing? Because I just, it, I'm like, oh, three, mm, 48. Yeah, everything just seems like right right in line. No, you're not missing anything. I will counter the the concept of talent for talent by saying that when these two teams played a couple of weeks ago, the Giants 
outgained the Vikings 6.7 to 5 yards per play. So even with Justin Jefferson having 12 catches and TJ Hawkinson having 13, (laughs) the Giants still managed to move the football fairly effectively for their part uh, on the other side. Um, The only way I could tell someone to play this game, and I did not play this game Mm -hmm. on the spread especially, the only way would be to take the three uh, with the New York Giants because of the way they played them. Uh, the last time these two teams got together and you have to look at the injury report for this game in particular. Obviously, you always want to check it, but this game in particular, there are some massive, massive situations for both of these teams. Start on the Giants side. I told you last time these two teams played that I thought Justin Jefferson over receptions was the smash of smashes and it cashed with ease. Now, this game, Dory Jackson is supposed to be back and I'm not going to try to make a Dory Jackson out to be James Bradbury or Sauce Gardner. But he's a lot better than anyone the Giants threw out there in that meeting two weeks ago. So Dory Jackson's going to play if you read uh, all the tea leaves from the Giants. They're also going to get Leonard Williams and Aziz Ojolari back. And if you look at what the the line has been for the Giants, the front four has been. It has been very effective over the second half of the season. Mm -hmm. Dexter Lawrence, if you are anywhere on social media, you have seen someone cutting up Dexter Lawrence, destroying Kirk Cousins uh, a couple of weeks ago. Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Aziz Ojolari, and Kayvon Thibodeau have become a formidable front four for the New York Giants. Now, Kirk Cousins' numbers don't change significantly uh, under pressure or versus the blitz. It's not a situation where you say, oh, my God, he gets so much worse. But you certainly can understand people who have concerns about A, primetime Kirk, and B, needing to rely on Kirk. The Giants' defense against the Minnesota Vikings' offense I think is actually where this game will be won or lost. I trust in Dable and Mike Kafka being able to come up with a way against a terrible, terrible Minnesota defense to be able to move the ball. Now, you said injury report. Garrett Bradbury is trending toward playing for the Minnesota Vikings, and that makes a massive difference for them in the middle of that offensive line. As is Harrison Smith. Also, as is, yeah. that will make a big difference if Harrison Smith is able to go in the back end for the Vikings. So, but I think it comes down to Minnesota's ability to keep Kirk cousins clean and to be able to avoid the the pressure from the giants. Uh, The only two ways I would look at this game and I'm not playing either of them would be to take the points for the giants. And I would be inclined to look over 48. Yeah. So Steven, I was going to say it, given the same question that we posed for the last game in the dolphins and the bills, if someone gave me a free bet and said, you have to bet one of the four traditional bets, I'd probably play the over at 48. I mean, like it's if there was a three and a half that was out there, I'd say I'd probably play the three and a half on the Giants. I just wouldn't want to take the free money and and play a push. Like, I feel like I honestly got I just feel like this game lands on three. I just can't I cannot get off of this game landing on three. And so I'd probably play the over. I think that the Giants are going to be able to move the ball on a Vikings defense. that's basically giving it up to anybody. I think that the Vikings offense is going to continue to be somewhat productive. Um, so I think I think it probably would be on the over 48 here. If a three and a half does show, I will play a small bet on the Giants at three and a half. Uh, that would be a dream for me to get on the other side of the three. Um, so that's about it for me. That being said, it seems like it's trending the other direction at a couple of these books. Rest of country. It is a cheap three just as we were recording this guys so a cheap three at DraftKings, a cheap three at caesars so uh a lot of people taking the the full field goal there with the giants just again as we record this on friday morning 
I think you guys have covered it very well. I agree. If gun to my head, I had to bet side or total here, it would be the over. Um, my biggest concern in this game is the Vikings offensive line. I know that their center looks like he's going to play, but he's got a back injury. How effective is he going to be? Is he going to be able to finish the game? I think those are legitimate questions. They've also lost their right tackle, which is a big deal with this front and this now healthy Giants front. So I think on both sides, that is where things could go haywire for one of these teams. And I I understand the thought process that this spread was four and a half just a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, maybe three is value on the Vikings, but that has to also mean that four and a half was the right number a couple of weeks ago, which I patently rejected at the time and accordingly bet the Giants to cover. Admittedly, they needed a late fourth quarter touchdown to to tie that game. And then the Vikings win on a 60 yard field goal. But um, yeah, I think these teams are pretty tight. But I do think the one weakness here is the Vikings offensive line. So I agree with Adam that it would be Giants or pass here for me. Eli Hershkovich on the Beat the Closing Line podcast earlier this week did bet Giants plus three. He went in depth on his reasons why. So if, if you want to go listen to that, you can find it on our YouTube channel or the podcast feed. Yeah, again, uh, if a if a three and a half did pop, doesn't look like it's going to. It looks like it's going the other way. Three and a half did pop. I would play the Giants. I just don't want to put up for me. I just, don't want, yeah, I just don't want to put a push in my account. I just like, I, again, like, I just feel like three is exactly where this is, where this is going to land. So uh, three and a half would be a bet, but we'll, we'll monitor that. Of course we have until uh, afternoon on Sunday, Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals. This is your nightcap on Sunday evening, nine and a half now in favor of Cincinnati in a game with a 40 and a half total. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what. That's the other one of these. Uh, Lamar Jackson's out for this game, maybe for the rest of the season. If they were able to even pull some sort of massive upset, his uh, he took to the social medias on Thursday and basically laid out that he just doesn't feel that the knee is good. So it seems like even if they were to win this game, he wouldn't be out there. So uh, Tyler Huntley battling a shoulder injury, though. Harbaugh leads you to believe that Huntley will be able to go. Does it matter because he's averaging 117.8 passing yards across four starts so far for this team? So I don't know if it really matters. Now, it's not all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns for Cincinnati either, just because of the injury report for the Ravens. We know Lyle Collins. We mentioned this on the pod last week was out. And we didn't really care. Lyle Collins was literally 74th out of 78 graded tackles in the NFL so far this year. He has been terrible. So the loss of him was more by name than anything else. Right. Guard Alex Kappa goes down last week and he is out this week for Cincinnati. Kappa is a good offensive lineman. And that is something that could make a difference. Um, Maybe not necessarily in this game, but moving forward for Cincinnati. So Steven, as we look at this one, it got out of teaser territory. Look, I played the, I, I, no one cares about what we got it at. I want to talk about what it, like I played Cincinnati at six and a half minus six and a half. So like I have them at under a touchdown. I played them again in a teaser when it got to seven down to one, all of that, but no one cares. If you're watching this, you want to know about nine and a half at nine and a half. This still feels like one way traffic to me. Cincinnati like is going to be able to do almost whatever they want to the defense for the Ravens while it played a little bit better over the second half 
it's it's old. It's slow. All the playmakers for Cincinnati are going to be out there. They can't cover all three of these dudes. It's, and now you add in Hayden Hurst, so they're actually four dudes. They're not going to be able to do that. Cincinnati's going to score a lot. I just, you know, I can't find myself taking nine and a half with, with Baltimore, with it being either Tyler Huntley or, worst case scenario, Anthony Brown. Yeah, at, at this number, it's a pass for me. I'm I'm with you. I also have Bengals teasers from earlier this week, and we shared in our Discord channel. The right side of the Bengals offensive line is a big deal. I just don't think it's going to matter this week. I think it's there's a chance the the Ravens defense, which has been greatly improved since their bye week, they are eighth in overall defensive EPA per play since the bye, uh, and they're playing a division opponent opponent which they know very well. So. I don't put it out of the, the range of outcomes that the Bengals can keep this close. I'm just not willing to bet it when we have a Bengals offense that basically was in this same situation in the postseason a year ago with a compromised offensive line and was able to overcome it just fine. Now they got lucky and lost yards per play in every one of those playoff games leading up to the Super Bowl against the Rams. So maybe this postseason the negative regression comes for them with a, a compromised offensive line but i just don't trust the ravens to score enough points to do anything here or to hold the the bengal's under 21 points so it's a pass for me but we're going to have to have a serious conversation if the bengal's advance about this right side of their offensive line now against what's likely the buffalo bills next week yeah, if we look at this, Adam, I mean, it, it, again, this is probably a handicap more for next week than it is this week. Joe Burrow getting the ball out of his hand faster than everybody in the NFL outside of Tom Brady. So he has adjusted to how the line took a while to kind of gel for this team. And basically, even once the line started playing better, the offense was working so well with them getting the ball out quick and all that that they just kept it going regardless. And so I, I'm not saying offensive line woes and issues are not going to come back at some point to hurt Cincinnati. I, I do believe that at least he could feel pressure more off or something like that. But again, it's not what was happening last year. They they've got a different offensive scheme this year that they have executed and they've executed very, very well. As we know, this is like the best offense in the NFL over the last nine weeks of the season. So I'm a little less concerned, but it's still a thing with Kappa being out. But talking about this game in particular, Nine and a half, 40 and a half. So you're getting, you would be getting nine and a half points in a game with a 40 and a half total. It seems tempting, but you know, what do we even know about Anthony Brown or, or, or a banged up Tyler Huntley? Well, I'm going to give you full health Tyler Huntley stats. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tyler Huntley this year by pro football focus metrics. And I had to, eliminate the usual sort because he hasn't even taken 20% of dropbacks, yeah. but he's 52nd mm -hmm. among all, all quarterbacks this year. If you are thinking about Tyler Huntley and thinking, well, he at least still gives the Ravens a chance. You are not thinking about Tyler Huntley this year. You are thinking about Tyler Huntley last year. This year, it hasn't been quite the same for the backup quarterback situation in Baltimore. Um, again, in numbers that are gone, when it was six and a half, even though it wasn't a Wong teaser, that was the only other good option on the board for a teaser for yeah. me with the Jaguars. And so I played it down to a half. 
with the Bengals. And I'll look at this game from a different angle since you guys already covered, I think, pretty well spread in total. I'm not in a hurry to play either one, although if we had that mythical hundred dollar bet, it would be under on mm-hmm. 40 and a half, even with this having moved down, because I think if you are looking if you are looking at this as having any doubt in this game, then your doubt is about Cincinnati's offense with that offensive line situation. You guys already covered it. But Jamar Chase, even when these two teams played early in the season and Joe Burrow still wasn't right and they only scored 17 points, had seven receptions. Mm. Jamar Chase last week, when it mattered, had eight receptions. The number right now is six and a half, and it's actually juiced to the other side. You're getting even money on Jamar Chase over six and a half receptions. And I think if there's one thing you can count on in this game, it's going to be Joe Burrow looking his direction in a game that matters. So, uh, Overs, I'm giving out more than I normally would mm-hmm. uh, in terms of props, but there are a few this week that I think are, are attractive as alternative ways to some spreads that I don't love. Yeah, it's kind of the only way to, to, to look at these the, the games now that the spreads have ballooned out is like, how do you look at it alternately? How do you look at are there any, you know, if we talk ourselves into an under 40 and a half, I mean, is the realm of possibility? I, I, I actually think it is. I mean, is, we're looking at range of outcomes here. 27 6 you know i mean 20 27 10 in this game cincinnati over baltimore like that all of that seems very very much in the range of outcomes for a ravens offense that has not been able to move the ball at all without lamar jackson and this Bengals defense that has actually stepped up pretty well here i mean we talk a ton guys about the offense and as we should but the Bengals defense since week 10. So the bulk of the second half of the season, number three in EPA per play allowed number four in success rate allowed and number four in rush EPA per per uh, rush EPA allowed. And the reason I brought that up is because obviously we don't think the Ravens are going to light it up through the air. That has not been the case with Huntley and it's certainly not going to be the case with Brown. So if, if they have success at all, it would be on the ground and the Bengals defense is, is the fourth best defense in the NFL right now against the run as we enter this week. And so the path to success for the Ravens, I always like to try and say like, okay, but if the, but if this team has success, how does it come? I can't logically draw a line to them having success through the air with Huntley or Brown at quarterback and a lack of receivers as it is anyway. And then against this version of the Bengals defense, I can't really draw a line to them having a bunch of success on the ground either. So I just team total under on Ravens an under in the whole game. Like the only thing that screws you, I think from an under is Cincinnati puts up 40 points in the game. You know I mean? Like that does it on their own. Kind of like we saw in the national championship. I don't game think that's week. happening. I don't you think know? the Bengals are putting up a ton of points, Matt. I yeah, definitely I'm, don't think that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, that's kind of, I think the only way that you would, that you wouldn't think an under gets home in my opinion, right. Is like, would just be that Cincinnati puts up so many points that Baltimore's meager 10 is enough to get the thing over. Mo uh, bet earlier this week, the parlay on Bengals, the cover and the under because he loves the under and he thinks it's highly correlated with the Bengals or I'm sorry, with the Ravens covering nine and a half, 10 points. So I totally agree with that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And one thing I will disagree with you, Matt, on is, is Bengals' second half of the season. I think that ignores a little bit what they've looked like the past three weeks. They're only 15th in EPA offensively. They're not inside the top 10 in any of the rush or pass EPA or success rate metrics. And you mentioned the run game. It's non-existent lately. It's 26th I was and talking 30th. Defense. 
Those were oh, defense. defense. I'm sorry, were, I misheard you. But the, but yeah, the Bengals offense. Would you agree the Bengals offense is concerning? That this does not look like the Bengals team that we thought was really dangerous coming into the playoffs last season. Uh I mean, I mean, on paper they, they still were, have all the same I, weapons, right? I mean, but they they haven't looked the same. I'm not gonna like. I mean, I I, I we can't predict whatever they were. They were marching up and down the field on the Bills, like when the game got canceled. I mean, like, I, I mean, so I don't know, Adam. Well, what are you? Yeah, well, 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 let's let's play the other side of that here. Uh, this might be this week might be the best defense they see in the playoffs if they go all the way mm-hmm. through. That's true because the the Bills have not been right ever since Von Miller left. That mm-hmm. entire defense was predicated on them being able to get pass rush with four. They're banged up in the secondary beyond DeMar, Ham, uh, DeMar Hamlin and Jordan Poyer is injured this week as well. And the Chiefs numbers have looked better the last few weeks, but that is not a defense that we've had a lot of respect for all season long. So if you see them perform relatively well this week, I'm not going to have a lot of uh, worry about them going forward against who they'll see. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots widely regarded by uh, us and everybody as a as a top 10 defense in the NFL. So I mean, they they still I mean, they beat them if there was any sort of struggle. Um yeah, and I mean, they didn't have to do anything against the Ra- I mean, like that game was over. I mean, the game was over when it started. Right. Like, like they'd have to do anything against the Ravens last week. And why so, would they show a lot when you're going to play them the next yeah, week? Yeah. I mean, so I, I don't know. I think that's maybe over analysis, the paralysis by over analysis a little bit there That's with fair. all with all of that Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going at it on Monday night. Guys, we got a good one on Monday night. I'm going to be looking forward to Monday night for sure. Dallas Cowboys find themselves as two and a half point road favorites over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Forty five and a half is the total in this one. This was an automatic teaser leg for me, <laughs> like automatic. The Cowboys aren't beating anybody at margin. Like, I'm just, I'm sorry. They're just not beating anybody at margin. It's not going to happen. They, uh, if the fact that Kellen Moore is getting head coaching interviews and things like that is uh, shocking to me. Um, I don't know what you would love about this Cowboys offense really at all. Uh, for me outside of Tony Pollard, who we know is a little bit nicked up at the very, at the very least in this one, I'm not buying. This is a play. I want to, I want to say people are going to say, dude, the bucks have one good game and you're no, this is a play against Cowboys, not a play on the bucks. I want to make that very, very clear here that I'm not saying, Oh, Tampa is, you know, fixed all of a sudden because they had a couple of good games. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is I don't believe in the Cowboys, have not believed in the Cowboys for a long time, and I think this is where if I if they have to win by nine points, they nearly have to win by double digits for me not to win my leg of this teaser. Prove me wrong, Dallas Cowboys. Prove me wrong. Um, Adam, I'm, I'm going to go to you here because I know you have the same one in your account. Uh, what was your What was your reasoning for getting there? Was it different than mine? I actually don't. Um, oh. I, I do not have that uh, in my account, and that was a function of when I bet it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I would when I was putting my teasers together earlier in the week. Uh, this wasn't available. I see everything in terms of your handicap here. Um, I, I'm not actually thinking it's prisoner of the moment on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I am a little bit wondering if it is something about the Dallas Cowboys, though, because let me just. I'm just going to read point numbers, and some of these have to do with short fields and turnovers and and so on and so on. But this is the Cowboys offense before the Commanders game. 
going back to the Bears game to beat the Lions 24 to 6. The last time they really didn't score was against the Eagles. Uh, that was, I believe, week six. So they have been able to put up points. And yeah, Tampa's offense is better. Mm-hmm. Tampa's offense is, if they get Ryan Jensen back at center and solidify the middle of the line for Brady, then I think that that is a major, major step forward for them. So on the other side of this, can Dallas score? Yeah, I actually I'm not that worried about Dallas scoring after last week. So what's actually interesting to me is the total of 45 and a half because the Cowboys have played a number of these games where both teams score a lot of points. Uh, And if you believe that the Tampa offense is in some way fixed, then yeah, teaser leg for sure. If you like, if you like Tampa, um, it's not my favorite teaser leg of the week, but I, I would be inclined toward over. If you think this Bucks offense is in better shape than it was for a lot of the season. All right, Steven. So you are the one that has, uh, has the teaser leg in your account here. Uh, I also agree with what Adam said. I think that Cowboys have kind of played themselves into being a dead over kind of a dead, dead over team. Um, it's, it's like, uh, the defense that we thought was going to be kind of where they hung their hat this year. First few weeks, Micah Parsons was just doing like superhuman things. And we're like, oh yeah, look Dallas defense. There it is. And then that defense just kind of went away, withered away. It hasn't been there for the bulk of the season. So we, we have not looked at this defense as a good defense in, in quite a while. So, uh, you know, if there is, if you do believe that Brady and them figured something out, then they should be able to put some points on the board. I also do not have the teaser leg yet. Uh, I mentioned it earlier in the pod that it's a, a prime candidate, you know, typical Wong teaser, but this is a weird game to me. I think this is, you know, I think if you are looking more at the last month going into the playoffs, then you're obviously going to be attracted towards the Bucks and betting on them. I think if you're looking at more of the bigger body of work here, or even these teams after the bye weeks, you have to think Dallas here. I mean, Matt, let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Last two weeks for Dallas, I know they played their starters, but let's be honest, that was a meaningless game for Dallas. They had a very, very small chance of that game meaning anything for them. The week before was a fake game on Thursday night on a short week against the Titans who pulled all their starters, whatever, like they coasted in that game and didn't want to get anybody hurt. So I don't think I really care what the Cowboys look like the past two weeks. And if we don't look at the past two weeks, what is the spread of this game? I mean, we were talking about the spread of this game for weeks now, and at no point did we ever think it was going to be two and a half, right? I mean, a field goal. I mean, they're on the road. They're, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. But like we were talking at well, least three and a half on this game for, for I, weeks leading up to this, weren't I, we? The, the, I, th- I think they get hammered on three and a half. I get the, the, the books get destroyed on three and a half uh, in this game with the uh, with Tampa money because of two things. Matt just mentioned it, it's still a road game for Dallas in the playoffs against Brady. And I think when we talk about the market in particular, 
the market never came completely off its Tampa priors this year, right? Mm -hmm. And they were proven right just enough. (laughs) Just a few times Tampa was able to do enough to keep them interested and come through in the spots where they really had to. So I I would have been shocked if this thing got past three, quite honestly. Yeah, I guess. uh, Are we not buying into this? narrative or are we not buying into the narrative that Dallas only plays good at home or are we like are we not buying into that or are we are we are we, are we I, I thought that was the most laughable narrative I've heard all week that Dallas doesn't play well on grass like give me a break like that's that's not a thing whatever I mean I know that weather and all that that, that that's fine but like the Dallas issues on defense are legitimate I will concede that like they're since the bye week the Dallas defense is 25th and drop back success rate so what we thought was a scary defense for the first half of the season has basically evaporated now I don't buy that the offense has a ton of issues here I I do think that they're going to find success because if I'm correct and they just didn't really care all that much about the past two weeks they didn't have a ton to play for if we take out the last two weeks since the bye week the Dallas offense is fourth in overall EPA fifth in success rate Dak is sixth and fourth in drop back EPA and success rate and That's only behind Kansas City, Cincinnati, and Buffalo. This offense, in what I'm terming meaningful games since the bye week, is every bit as good as the the offenses we think are the best in the NFL. So I think under three here on the Cowboys, if you're taking more of an overall picture look at this game, is pretty cheap because, I mean, no way was this cheaper than three and a half in my mind a few weeks ago. And and to Adam's point, maybe the books get hammered on that. Maybe so. And he's probably right. Yeah, he's. I agree. He's probably right about that. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> but but two and a half on the Cowboys with what we've seen for most of this year and what Tampa has trotted out there with Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich getting behind constantly against bad teams. I don't trust this offense to come out and stop running the ball as much as they have been. If anything, I'm going to play Tampa on a live spread here when they inevitably get behind and are running the ball stupidly when they should be throwing the ball with Tom Brady. So pregame, it's only Dallas minus two and a half for me. But if Matt, before you go on here, if they get behind that's when they throw, they, they tend, they tend to go into that two minute drill once they get behind. So I let's talk about it this way. Maybe not in terms of the spread, but that's just more ammunition for the over. I, I, yeah. I think ultimately in the long run is I think just about any game script you come up with here, unless you're saying that the Tampa offense goes back to crap and that the Dallas pass rush looks like it did early in the year. I, I don't see any other way that this game is trending toward under. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the correlated play for sure is if you think if, if you're on Dallas, you you should also be on the over because Dallas that that is that means Dallas plays into the mid twenties, high twenties, and then that means the I mean in the, unless you again unless you think like Adam said it's just it's been a mirage what we've seen from Tampa which I don't I think that like they figured at least a little bit out here on the offensive side and if they're playing from behind yes that is when the running backs hit the sideline and they just start playing up tempo and. And moving the ball. So I think the correlated play is is Cowboys and over in this thing. I think the Bucks. if you think the Bucks went outright, it's certainly going to need to be a lower scoring kind of slog type game. I mean, that seems to be how this would want to be be played out on Tampa side. I do want to talk about some some futures here in 
in just a second um, when we get to all this. I guess the only other my my only other question here in this one, guys, is are we are we at all okay? Let's say this does get back to three by the time it kicks off. I imagine Dallas on a Monday night under a field goal, whatever. If this gets back to the full three, any interest at all on Tampa or, or does that take away your interest on Dallas, whatever? Like, cause I think this thing is trending to getting back to the three. No, to me, it's like Giants I, I Vikings and it's a pass. I, it's exactly the same situation. as Giants Vikings for me, no interest at three. What about you, Adam? I, I, so if the money starts to come in on Tampa, then to me, that money is saying you think Tampa can score, right? I don't think there's anyone coming in on this game saying, I think Tampa's defense is so good that they're going to be able to muck this thing up and make it a 17-14 game. So, no, that that still wouldn't get me to play the spread. It would just be more for me to look toward over again. All right, boys, I want to close things out here with a few minutes just on the futures markets. Um, listen, there are these are the best numbers you're going to get on, on any of these teams. If you want to play, play them to win the Super Bowl and all that, because obviously, as you advance, your number is going to get shorter. We sit right now. The Chiefs are best number you can find is plus 350 across the market. Bills four to one. You've got the 49ers five to one. Eagles five and a half. Cincinnati's best number is eight to one. Cowboys are 16 out there at one of the books, which is really off market. So something to take into account. Chargers at 25 bucks at 30 Vikings at 35 Jags at 50 Ravens, 60 Giants, 66 Seahawks, 100 and the Dolphins at 100. Adam, I'll start with you. Um, Is there any value at all? Let's just say someone's coming in off the street. They have no futures tickets in their account whatsoever. They'd like to get a sweat. They'd like to whatever. Is there any value or, or where would, where would you, if you were that guy, put your money in a futures market from a Super Bowl standpoint? So it's not going to be in the AFC period yeah. because there's too much potential for those teams to cannibalize each other in the AFC. And even when you get down to the chargers and Jaguars, you see teams that have at least the offensive talent to make life difficult uh, on opponents. So it's going to be in the NFC. And I think we got to talk about the game. We just talked about if you believe in the Tampa Bay offensive, I'm not going to call it resurgence, but let's just call it surgence. Then I think you got to look at Tampa Bay because you've got Brady You've got an offense that was thought to be a lot better than it has been. You've got a defense that is capable. And I think you have a path that is not all that difficult to navigate. Uh, the biggest thing you you look at here is if you think the Vikings are going to win. If you believe the Vikings win, then the Vikings are going to play the Niners. And Tampa's going to get the Eagles. I don't know that I'm worried about Tampa against the Eagles. I would worry more about them having to play the Niners first. Now, mm-hmm. can the Vikings beat the 49ers potentially? I don't think so necessarily, but I don't, it's not outside the realm of possibility. I'll just say overall, the path for the Buccaneers and the NFC at that number makes sense to me. So that's where I was going with this, and I'm glad you brought that up. If you think that the Bucs win outright this week, I would say put 80% of your stake on that this week and then put like a 20% future bet in on them to win the Super Bowl because the NFC is wide open in my opinion. And so if you think that they can win outright this week, 
then you might want to go ahead and sprinkle a little bit. Again, there's a 30 to one out there for them to win the Super Bowl. We're down to 14 friggin' teams and they're 30 to one in a in a in a conference that is fairly, fairly wide open. Uh, Steven, what about you on a on a future standpoint from a Super Bowl winning standpoint? I don't know if a book will let you do it, but if you guys think the Bucks have a path, then I think you should parlay it. Or if you can't parlay it, put a side bet on on Giants money line because the Bucks are not beating the 49ers, in my opinion, if they get there. Yes, they could be competitive against the Eagles, but to play the Eagles, they need the Giants to win. Uh, no, I take that. I'm sorry. I got this backwards. I think the Giants win. They're going to play the Eagles. So. If you like the Bucks, I think you need to bet on the Vikings to win so that Matt, help me out here. Am I messing this up? I don't know that I can help you out of this. <laughs> you've, you've just talked yourself into a and into I just a win. Total I don't even know. Circles here, I don't man. even oh, know God. if there's a way to get out of where you just went right there. I, I'm just like, do I want to throw a pickaxe down into the thing and just say like, here, just do what you can do, man. Like whenever you get done. With all this, I mean, listen, the opponent, they're not beating the Niners. I'll say that they're not. They just got that, their butts but that's kicked not, by the Niners. But, yeah, but that doesn't, I mean, that's again, I mean, that's all fine. I know you don't believe this, but rookie quarterbacks have sometimes played bad games. I mean, there, there, there might be a Brock Purdy blow up game somewhere along the way. Right. I mean, like he can't, I don't, I don't think this guy's just going to play perfectly for his whole for his whole tenure here as, as a rookie starter. I mean, like we're not so much worried about opponents. We're just looking at like it, it, you know, one of these teams, if can they win three, you know, can they get hot and win a few games in a row? You know, it's basically where we're coming at. I, I agree with Adam's standpoint on the AFC side of things. Like I don't want to have a chargers future or a Jags future or anything like that, because you will have to at, at some point make it through Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, right? And like, I don't look at it the same way on the NFC side because I do still see a 49ers team as talented as they are that is quarterbacked by a the last pick in the draft, right? I mean, like that is still a very real thing. I see an Eagles squad that Jalen Hurts, despite the fact they got the, the bye, Jalen Hurts came out of that game, all beat reporters were saying he was holding his shoulder, felt terrible, the shoulder was still bothering him, all the things yeah. like that, like, I think that if you look at the NFC, it is just a more it seems like it's more ripe for the picking than it would be on the on the AFC side of things. I agree with that. And I fixed my brain now. The core okay. the correlated path to, for the Bucks to play the Eagles would be Bucks win Vikings win. So straighten that all out. That's that's the correlated path in my mind. I don't think they would beat the 49ers uh, to me, guys. I agree with what you said about the AFC side. I think. Good luck trying to figure out who comes out of that. I think they're all pretty close. And if I was forced to pick one, it would probably still be the Bengals. Um, but on the NFC side, it's not a great value at this point. But I, I do think the 49ers are a wagon, man. I do not share the same Brock Purdy concerns that you guys share. I think it's because this is not the same situation that any other rookie quarterback would be in because he has the best possible offensive situation to be in paired with the best possible defensive situation to be in. So they're asking very little of him. I think they don't have to play any of the top three teams in the NFL in order to get to the Super Bowl. The 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 Bengals, the Chiefs, and the Bills would be the difficult path, and they don't oh, have I mean, to face any of them. I agree there. Those are the top three teams in my power ratings. I, I agree with that as well. One other angle I want to bring out. If you do like 
the 49ers so much. Mm-hmm. They are five to one to win the Super Bowl. However, we know they want to give Super Bowl MVPs to quarterbacks. But Brock Purdy is not asked to do very much in this offense at all. And there is a very likely path in which you could find the MVP go to somebody else. So what I what I'm at least throwing out there into the universe is if you are looking at the 49ers and you really like the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. Read my mind. George Kittle is like 100 to 1 to win Super Bowl MVP. Brandon Ayuk is like 125 to 1 to win Super Bowl MVP. George Kittle, since Purdy took over, is averaging 1.2 touchdowns per game since Brock Purdy took over. Like, he loves friggin' George Kittle and whatever. So, like, unlike these other teams, right, where, uh, let's just be for real, if the Chiefs, the Bills, probably even the Eagles, even with the hurt shoulder, the Bengals, whatever, it's going to Hurts or Burrow or or Mahomes or or Allen, right? Like, that, that is happening. But Purdy could easily throw for, like, 160, and like 105 of those yards go to one single guy or something or whatever. So, or Christian McCaffrey has 65 receiving yards and 85 rushing yards and two touchdowns. So again, I think if you'd like the 49ers, you would also maybe be looking at one of these alternate MVP bets to go along with that as well. Adam, I know you were shaking your head at me. Like I was saying something stupid. No, 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 no. It's that's, Um, I think you're on the right path. I think you got the wrong guy. What's the narrative around this 49ers team? It's not about Purdy. It's not about Samuel. It's not about Kittle. It's about the defense. Nick Bosa might win defensive player of the year. He's 75 to one to win Super Bowl MVP. You're two or three sacks away from that happening. You were a strip sack away from that happening. If the 49ers, let's just play this out. They get to the Super Bowl. They win the game 16-14 over Kansas City because their defense was unbelievable. They held Patrick Mahomes down and Nick Bosa got to the quarterback three times and nobody else on the offense did anything of note. Well, I think what you're going to do is you're going to look to the defense and give it to the best guy on the defense. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you in the general idea of if you like the Niners, play one of these longer shot guys. I just think it's someone on the defensive side. Yeah, it just to, to me, I think there's a very likely scenario in which a, a 49ers team could get to a Super Bowl against any of these teams that we love so much in the AFC. And that defense is so powerful that we get a slog. And if that's the case, then Purdy's likely not to light it up and you know i just i think that there's a a decent i think it would be i think there's at least a direct line to an outsider for a 49ers winning as opposed to most of these other teams whereas you can kind of say like hey if the chiefs are winning the super bowl mahomes is like gonna throw for 300 you know whatever i mean it's just like you kind of can can get there with all these other teams but i think there's a really direct line to it being a an alternate 49er steven i know you're you're the 49ers guy does does that make sense to you what i'm saying yeah it does i'm kind of looking at this kind of like the way we build outright cards for golf tournaments matt yeah and you can kind of take whatever you were going to bet on the 49ers to win the super bowl and kind of spread it out between the best odds for super bowl mvp So, you know, just hypothetically here, if you take Brock Purdy, Nick Bosa, George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and to pay out twelve hundred dollars, 
you could spread 139 about 150 bucks between right. those four guys to win 1200 at the best odds available and if the Niners make it to the Super Bowl at the very least you got a 12 to 1 on Brock Purdy yeah. when he's probably going to be like 2 to 1 or less because well, that's nine, the, yeah that's that's my other point here as well as we close things out is that so you can get these guys today and, and as we're recording you'll have until you know you have basically until this game kicks off and all that but like you can get these guys today. Once they win one game, like Ayuk will no longer be 125 because the further you advance, the more likely it is for you to become Super Bowl MVP because your team is advancing closer. So like if, if they actually made it to the Super Bowl, you would have a ticket on Kittle at 100 and Ayuk at 125 where they're going to be nine and 12 or whatever or something like that. You know, so just something to to keep in mind as we do our and portfolio Matt, of everything. Last yeah. point. Some people mm-hmm. might be wondering, well, why why aren't they mentioning Christian McCaffrey? Well, a running back has not won Super Bowl MVP since 1998 when Terrell Davis and, did it. And, and with Eli Mitchell, Mitchell back, was yeah, taking, with it. Yeah, exactly. with him back in the yeah, with him back in the fold. I don't I don't love that. Guys, everything we do absolutely free here. So please subscribe, rate, review. Really do appreciate that on the audio side. Down below YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Let us know in the comment section how you are going to play Super Wild Card Weekend for Steven, for Adam. I'm Matt. Good luck on all of your bets.